Welcome to the Dharma Spring. You know, we talk about, at some point, I don't know if we've talked about it too much this time yet, but in looking at the precepts, particularly the ten bodhisattva vows that we're going through now, you can see how they all intersect. And you're not really taking up necessarily an individual vow that stands alone. You realize within each vow, the others are contained in some way. And I'm finding with this one in particular, it's maybe the first when we're going through, you know, this, it's the third vow, but the first one for me where I realize, wow, all of the other ones intersect in this particular one because it's about, a lot of it's about relationship, um, connection and our humanity. And so I vow not to misuse sex. Well, there can be um, aggression, the aggression that we associate with uh, killing or killing one's spirit, that can be involved here. And stealing and lying and anger and you know, all sorts of stuff can intersect here. So um, good morning and welcome. Take your time, settle in and get yourself some tea or whatever you wish. And we'll make a little room, maybe? Or not maybe? Yes, please. <laughs> anyway, all those things can be intersecting in this one particular vow, more so than, not more so, I just notice it for the first time really vividly how this one's particularly rich with the intersection of all the others. Um, <clears throat> it's also considering how this particular vow would be quite different in our history of you know, this tradition, going back to the monastic days of celibacy, you know, taking vows of celibacy. So I vow not to misuse sex for a monastic <coughs> would mean something much different than it does for people who aren't in the monastery, who have lives and family and children like us, a lay tradition. Um, so I appreciate that aspect of how it's different for us, but at the core, at the bottom, not so different. The same energies, the same dynamics, the same tensions are um, at play here, regardless if we take a vow of celibacy or are living a full life of non-celibacy. <laughs> <coughs> or celibacy, celibacy by choice versus <coughs> circumstance, <laughs> whatever it may be. Good morning. And with this one, as with all the others, there's this wide, vast territory that's beyond just the, the words of the vow. You know, it's not as simple as it seems. There's much more to it. So I'm, I think I'm going to be starting in that wider territory. Well, I am going to. Don't just think I am. I'm going to start in the wider territory of what I see, but then come down to the very particular aspect of it here. Um, it seems like maybe the other, it's gone the other way before. We kind of meet it, well, with not killing. That one's hard to start with. Well, when are we actually killing, literally? And that was not very often. So it's 
we kind of spend our time in the wider or the deeper territory there, but this one I think lends itself to, well, let's look at the specific instance of the vow. But anyway, um, in that wider territory, we'll just look at the vow itself. I vow not to misuse sex. And that, you can see that is a difference with the celibate monk. I vow not to have sex. I'm going to be celibate. I like this. I vow not to misuse it. Which isn't saying abstain, but it's saying pay attention to how you employ it, how you employ your sexuality or the things beneath it, uh, and use it in the appropriate way. It might be easier, quote unquote. Uh, to just say, I'm not going to do it at all. Because it's really complicated when you try to do it right. <laughs> when you try to not misuse it, right? Um, so, you know, to open it up beyond even the words of the, the vow itself, it's, I vow not to misuse desire. I vow not to misuse passion. I vow not to misuse attraction. I vow not to misuse connection. You know, you can see it opening up in that way. And what first came to mind for me when looking at this was um, in this territory, power, control, manipulation, things like that are involved when we're, when we're misusing it. And the other side of that I see is like being vulnerable and um, kind of surrendering your territory to something. And instead of manipulation, cooperation, working together. So it's interesting to see that for me, you know, power versus vulnerability, right? Think about relationships you have when it's a power struggle versus each person being vulnerable and what happens, what's possible when, when that's there. So in the realm of the power and manipulation, I just thought about our society. <laughs> and how we've evolved and how sex and the roles of sex and the desire and the, you know, all the stuff beneath it, desire, passion, connection, cravings, uh, the manipulation, all that, is really at play in our society. So it's, I was like, well, is it that it's always all about sex all the time? <laughs> or is it just that those are primal human things that manifest in many ways and sex is one of them? What came to mind, particularly right now, are the, the movements that, are, that have been around for a little while, you know, several months, a year, the Me Too and Never Again, addressing these cultural dynamics that have been unhealthy but supported just because that's the way it's been, that's the way it is. People now speaking up, thankfully, lots of strong women's voices and not so strong as women's voices, but still speaking up because they're willing to be vulnerable. They don't have to have that power, they're, you know, they're just speaking up. And people, hopefully, in some cases reflecting back on themselves and realizing the wrong that they've done and trying to correct it, but also the walls coming up to defend against it and not see it. So I, I mean, to me it's a really interesting time when we have an opportunity to shake it up and break it up and look at ourselves and um, I'm grateful for, you know, whenever that happens, when somebody brings up something that helps 
bring my blind spots to light. But that's just an example of the misusing of sex in our society, in culture, and what it's led to in specific situations, um, but also as a whole, wage inequality, um, lack of representation, all of that kind of stuff. You could say at the root of it is that power and control and manipulation, um, maybe related to the misuse of sex. Yeah? <laughs> Hmm. And it's particularly the, the phrase from Bodhidharma that I really enjoy, because it's uh, the one that says, well, first, the way things are is mysterious and hard to see. In a world where the Dharma is unadorned, not manufacturing a veneer of attachment is called the vow of not misusing sex. But I love that not manufacturing a veneer of attachment. There's so many layers here. First, there's the manufacturing level. You're creating something, you're making it up. And then you put a veneer on it to make it look shiny. So I'm making this up and I'm making it look appealing. And I'm doing it for you. Because I want to attract you. And that could be, you know, sex sales. Um, as they say in our society. It, many, you know, the Photoshop, all that stuff that goes on. You take a picture of a model. I, I, that's why I like being exposed to in the social media. It's like, well, here's the original photo and here's what it looked like when it got to the magazine. It's like, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just showing this is what we do. This is what our society, somehow it's, be, it's, I mean, not somehow, it's become evident that when you manufacture a veneer on something, you attract people to it rather than presenting it as it is and allowing them to meet it as they do. So you're manufacturing desire in another by manufacturing a veneer in yourself. Whether you're selling Pringles or cars or beer. But then, you know, what we see in society is what we do individually. Because society, it's always been funny to me when we, people talk about, oh, that's society's thing, that's society's thing. It's like, well, society's made up of individuals. And, we are individuals, so we are society. It is us. So I look into that manufacturing of veneer of attachment within myself. Um, you know, when just interacting with people and maybe wanting to appear favorable to them, not even in, a, in the sexual way, but just, I want to be liked. I want you to connect with me. I want you to want to be interested in me. I can start to manufacture myself. Make myself look a certain way or, you know, dress a certain way, present in a certain way. All based on this idea of, I think this is what you will like. And that will help you connect with me. And I guess it gets more manipulative when I specifically want something from you and I'm going to pretend, I'm manufacturing a veneer of attachment, I'm going to pretend that I'm really interested in you, hoping that you will reciprocate and be interested in me, when I may not actually be interested in you. And that's the veneer of attachment, right? And how often we can, we can do that. I can do that. So I get down beneath that and see, it's really about 
being afraid to show up just as I am and be liked or disliked based on my actual merits and who I am just as I am. And that comes probably through those societal pressures, you know, the individual matrix, or the matrix of the individual intersections and all that, but also personal experience, maybe. Or maybe I see, wow, look at that person in the magazine who looks so good. I don't look like that, so I need to try to doll myself up so that I can be worthy. So it's really, you know, about self-worth or lack of self-worth that I might feel I need to fix myself up. So that's interesting too, because then, like our courting, our courtship rituals, the, the typical thing, or the idea being, we put on a facade at the early stages to attract a mate. This would be like birds, you know, the bird dance, the guys who, the guy birds who get out there and, Phew, look at me, they're doing all that. I mean, they do it again. Well, once they get their mate, they don't dance like that anymore, I don't think. Yeah? <clears throat> but we kind of do that. We kind of make ourselves into something more than we are to attract that mate that we want to attract and we want to connect with. But then, at some point, the facade is dropped and they're going to see us as who we are. Then, are they still going to like me? Are they going to want me to keep doing the dance, the bird dance? Or are they going to be okay with me being who I am, as I am? And that's what we get to discover uh, as we go through. Take off all the feathers and the makeup and everything and just be who we are. And that's where it gets to be... Well... Nice, in my case. I'm just thinking, I've, some of you know, 20 year anniversary coming up in a couple of weeks. It's like, oh, that's nice. And it's also like, wow, somebody has been with me for 20 years and seen me as I really am, probably more so than I see myself, you know, and hasn't said, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's nice to be able to relax into that place of, I don't have to um, doll myself up. I don't have to become somebody else. She's still here. Maybe, maybe it's just because of convenience, I don't know. <laughs> um, but then I don't not have to either. I still have to try. I still have to do more than just be, it's all about me just being who I am. Um, and that's where, you know, to speak specifically about the precept, you know, not misusing sex in intimate relationship. Part of it is that territory of knowing who I am, knowing my needs and desires and acknowledging them and being, well, being willing to speak them and say, this is what pleases me. This is who I am and this is what I enjoy. But then inviting the same from the other. And so what are your desires? What makes you happy? What pleases you? Yeah? 
So it didn't, you know, we had to, if it's all about me and my desires and what pleases me, or if it's skewed as it tends to be in any relationship, it's, you know, not permanently skewed, but when we lean in one direction, we get a little skewed. So I could come to a relationship completely with this is what pleases me and forget about the other person. Or I can go the other direction, what pleases you, what makes you happy, and forget about myself. And that's the stealing. You know, we can hear that vow coming into play here. But it's a necessary dynamic of I need to know what makes me happy, and I need to say, yes, I have desires and I want to fulfill them, but not let that be the only thing. Find out from the other, what are your desires, what, are, what pleases you? The other being my wife, but the other sounded so uh, sterile, but I'm just going to say the other for, to make it more than about me. But, so myself and the other person. Um, and then to see, okay, how do we intersect in this? How do we work together so we both have desires fulfilled and are both fulfilling the desires of the other? Yeah? I think there's this ideal in a sexual relationship that you equally lose yourselves in it. And then you create this third thing, so to speak, that is made up of both of you, but is neither one of you. It's just this act, this thing that's happening. And it can be very fulfilling when it's entered into equally, but it's not always entered into equally. And that's the balance. Is Well, that's part of it, too, is... It's too much on this side. Okay, let's, let's go up and um, lean over in that. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, you can see this literally. Well, yeah, <laughs> lean in that direction. Go in this direction. Um, but how often do we go into relationships thinking we know what the other person wants based on our own ideas without ever asking them? And then... Maybe being on the, on the receiving end of that. <clears throat> and realizing this person's trying. And I appreciate that they're coming to me and they're trying to fulfill me. But it's really weird because this doesn't make me happy. <laughs> but I'll tolerate it. I'll put up with it. Because this, this is an attempt at a connection. So we come with our own ideas of what will bring the other person pleasure or happiness. Maybe without ever asking and listening to find out what, what's true, because that's vulnerable. It comes back to, I don't want to feel like an idiot, like I don't know how to please you. But it's like, well, I come across as an idiot, but thinking I do know how to please you without asking you. <laughs> um, so it comes back down to being willing to be vulnerable. Yeah? And to surrender my territory to a greater territory that could be created and to be in a cooperative venture rather than power struggle and manipulative one. Hmm. So the words from Dogen, which are interesting, I find, in this context, and we'll ex maybe explore it more later because it's like... I can, well, what he speaks to, he says here, the three wheels of yourself, others, and your actions are pure. When you desire nothing, you follow the Buddha's way. So, you know, the thing about 
yourself, others, and your actions are pure. To me, that speaks on the level of before you have to manufacture anything, if you can just get down to the base level, stay there, things will go better. Before you come up with ideas about how you have to be and who you have to be and what you have to do. And if you can stay there and you can trust that, maybe on that level. But then once you start interacting and intersecting, things get complicated. So even though it starts in that place of purity, as he puts it, it gets complicated. But there's always that place to maybe stay rooted and anchored in the fundamental level of who we are. But then when you desire nothing, you follow the Buddha's way. That can have this sense of give up desire, desire nothing. So that's what we get to explore more and say, well, what about that? The first thing that comes to mind is the connection to the Four Noble Truths when it says that there is suffering, desire or craving is what causes suffering, and there's a way to end suffering. People have interpreted that to mean just stop desiring things and then you'll be happy. And that doesn't work out, because that's desiring something. That's desiring to not desire. <laughs> but I think it, what I often say in regard to the priest, or to that Four Noble Truth, the second of the four, maybe the second and the third, I think you can apply in this situation is not desiring things to be other than what they are. So it's not really desiring nothing. It's like being with what is. Not desiring me, you know, accepting, yeah, this is the way I am. Like I was saying earlier, this is what I come with. This is what I, who I am, what I am. If that manufacturing of things comes from a desire to not be who I am. Also may come from a desire for the other person to want me. Or really a desire for them not to not want me. But to desire nothing would be, in this case, I think, showing up as I am fully and being willing to allow the other person to fully say, yes, I'm interested, or no thanks. And not try to manipulate and control that and make it into what I want it to be. Or to drag it along into something, hoping it'll turn out to be when maybe at some point I knew it wasn't going to be, but I really, really, really wanted it to, yeah. So to, to desire nothing for me is actually f rich with desire. It's like the base level of desire, but not the nothing part of it comes with not manipulating, not adding on to it, not trying to make it other than what it is in order to fulfill it. So I vow not to misuse desire rather than I mean, I'd like to couple that with a, you know, to desire nothing. I think they're paired. To not misuse desire. Allow it its course, its, its own manifestation, and follow it rather than try to control it and use it and have it inform my manipulations.
So again, these dynamics that kind of done a maybe broad brushstrokes with, but are always at play, you know, from, well, tomorrow's Easter and have you bought your chocolate yet? Do you desire to go get chocolate? You know, here's desire at play and how are we going to fulfill that? Um, like, I really like those Cadbury cream eggs with the caramel inside, but oh, they're so bad for me. I won't refuse them if they come my way, though. <laughs> or when am I just going to go to the store and buy them myself? I don't know. But anyway, those dynamics are at play in something as simple as buying chocolate and in our interpersonal relationships and in our societal structure. I mean, I think this is a really fundamental energy and dynamic that's happening, this vow not to misuse sex, which, again, at the heart of it is vowing to let things be fully what they are, including myself, and operate from that level, rather than change it, manipulate it, and try to get it to be other than what it is. All right. I've said enough. Thanks. <laughs>